All right. Again, uh, thank you for attending our Bible study for tonight. We're going to look into a lot of, uh, a very common question, especially since we are studying the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah Abba, and we were never accustomed to applying the Old Testament and the laws of the Old Testament even during our time in the so-called Christian era. And we believe we are under a new covenant mediated by our King Yahushua. So we need to know, but what Old Testament laws still apply today? And so this question is brought to you by one of our viewers. And this is what he had to say or had to ask for that matter. Uh, good day, Brother John. I just want to ask, well, do the laws in Leviticus 19, especially 1919 and 1927 to 28 still apply to us? I'm asking because these laws, 19, 19, 27, 28, do not make sense to me. And he's being, being very honest. And when we read these two passages together later on, you, this question will make a lot of sense when he said it doesn't make sense to me. Now, how do we know if a law in the Old Testament is still applicable to us besides being repeated in the New Testament? An example is the eating of blood. Or does Romans 14, 22 to 23 apply here that as long as I am not condemned by my conscience and I am not committing sin? So let's begin by addressing the question that is based on the, the third statement, the last one. Does Romans 14, 22 to 23 stipulate that if your conscience doesn't bother you, then you're not committing sin. Let's go ahead and take a look at Romans 14, 22 to 23 and find out if this is what it actually teaches us. Romans 14, 22 to 23, keep what you believe about this matter. Then between yourself and God, happy are those who do not feel guilty when they do something they judge is right. But if they have doubts about what they eat, God condemns them when they eat it because their action is not based on faith, and anything that is not based on faith is sin. So that's Romans 14, 22 to 23. The question, uh, the person who asked the question is asking about this passage, if it tells us that if our consciences does not condemn us, does it mean we are not guilty of sin? That is not what Romans 14, 22 223 is telling us what is the purpose of Romans 14 22 to 23 it is not to impose our personal beliefs uh, with others so for example if you have a belief and your brother and sister has another belief we are not to place a stumbling block before them by imposing what we believe upon them this is why apostle paul says keep what you believe about this matter between yourself and God, what also does this passage tell us about our faith? We need to be certain about what we believe. And so if you have a particular faith, particular belief about your practice, about what you're doing, you need to be certain about it. What does that mean? We need to address any doubts, because if we have any doubts and we practice our faith, it means when we're practicing what we say we believe, yet we doubt, it is a sin against Yahuwah Abba. And so Apostle Paul is telling us we need to be certain about what we believe. If there are any doubts, we need to look at Scripture so that we can address those very doubts. And so when Apostle Paul tells us, keep what you believe about this matter between yourself and God, what is he talking about? Romans 14 verse 1, welcome those who are weak in faith, but do not argue with them about their personal opinions. Sometimes 
there are concepts and principles in scripture which is not very explicit when it comes to what is right and what is wrong. There are so-called gray areas, right? Bible says, uh, if there are arguments between two brethren, let us not create division about that. Instead, instead of uh, imposing one's personal opinions, let us hold on to what is truly more valuable. But at the same time, this chapter is telling us we need to be certain about what we believe. And it's not telling us that if our conscience is not bothering us, then we are not committing sin. So we should not rely on conscience. We should not say to, our, to ourselves, I feel good about this, therefore I am not sinning. That's actually very dangerous. Why? In the book of Timothy 4, 1 to 2, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Why must we not rely on our consciences? Because our conscience is not perfect, is it? Right? Our conscience can fool us. Our conscience can be seared. And so if we're going to base our decision-making on our conscience, well, if our conscience have been fed and nurtured by the ideas of the world, you're not going to feel guilty. For example, when it comes to dating uh, someone of the same sex, you're not going to feel guilty when it comes to upholding certain practices like abortion. It's okay because the whole world is telling you it's okay. But you know what? Our values, how we determine right from wrong is not the ideas of the world. It's not our conscience. What should be our basis? In the book of 1 John 3, verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And so how what should be our basis in determining what is right and what is wrong? Not our conscience, not what the world says, not what social media says, but what the law says. What law? The law of man? No, no. What law? The law of Yahuwah. Abba. This is why we need to know the law of Yahuwah Abba. That's the basis for determining, well, what is right and what is wrong, which takes us to the main question, the meat of the questions that were asked for today. How do we know if a law in the Old Testament is still applicable to us besides being repeated in the New Testament? And so one thing for sure if the Old Testament is no longer applicable, then we don't need it, right? The Old Testament is still very applicable, and we're going to show this to you today. So how do we know if the law or if a law in the Old Testament still applies to us today? Well, what's the difference between today and the days of Moses and the days of the prophets? The only difference is we are under a different covenant. What is this covenant all about? Hebrews 8, verse 6, But now, Yahushua, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God, based on better promises. What's the difference between the people of Elohim today and the people during the Old Testament times? There's actually a big difference. 
What's the big difference? We have a new high priest, a far better high priest with a far better ministry, a superior ministry, who is our high priest and mediator. No longer Moses, but our king, Yahushua. And so we can see already the big difference. The mediator was Moses before. Now we have our high priest. When it says the mediator was Moses before, he was the teacher of the law. And so he gave us the law. He taught how it should be applied. But now we have a new teacher, a new high priest, who teaches us the same law, but how it is to be applied under the context of today's society or during the Christian era. So we have a better covenant. Who's leading this covenant? Our king, Yahushua. Why is it a better covenant? Because it's based on better promises. That's one. What also makes it a better covenant? Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. So we're going to go to Hebrews 8, Hebrews 9, and then Hebrews 10 to look at this better covenant. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of his creation. He did not enter by means of blood, the, of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Bible says that the covenant led by our King Yahushua is much better than the covenant that was led by Moses. And one reason for that is that it's based on better promises. Number two, through this covenant, we are able to obtain what the Bible calls eternal redemption. How was eternal redemption attained? Because of the blood of our own high priest, our King Yahushua, that was offered to our Almighty Father, Yahuwah. And so what does this mean that we have eternal redemption? We read 11 and 12. Let's read 13 and 15. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse your consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. What does it mean? That we have obtained eternal redemption. We have been cleansed and set free because of the blood of our king, Yahushua. There are two concepts here. One is being uh, cleansed, becoming ceremonially clean. Because during the, eight, the days of the Old Testament, unless you were ceremonially clean, you could not participate in the tabernacle. You could not truly worship among the people of Allahim. And so if you were a leper, right? If you were a leper, or if you accidentally touched a dead body, you were ceremonially unclean. If you're a woman and you just gave birth, you were ceremonially unclean. If you ate, for example, uh, some forbidden foods like pork, you become ceremonially unclean. So there was a cleansing process by which a person can be cleansed so that they can participate in the work of worshiping there in the tabernacle. Also, there were also um, 
offerings and sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. All of that is covered by the blood that was offered by our king, our high priest, Yahusha. This is why, because of the blood of Christ, we are cleansed in our consciences from acts that lead to death, and our sins were set free, sins that were committed under the first covenant. And so when the new covenant was set up by our King Yahusha, because of his shed blood on the cross, what was set aside? Let's read Hebrews 10, 5 to 7. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here, I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. So here's the Apostle Paul. He's quoting scripture and he's quoting a passage about Yahuwah stating sacrifice and offering I do not desire. Burnt offering and sin offerings I am not pleased. And then he applies this with the coming of Christ. What does this all mean? It's a good thing Apostle Paul explained himself in Hebrews 8, uh, 10, 8 down to 10. And so we read verse 7. Let's read 8 to 10 for the application and the meaning or explanation of this passage. This is what it says. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Yahusha Christ once for all. And so something was set aside when Yahuwah received Yahusha's sacrifice on the cross. What was that? The first covenant, which included what? What defied the first covenant? It was the giving of sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings. This is why it was based on the altar and the temple, right? And they're the priests who ministered in the temple and they had a high priest and everything was run through the temple or through the tabernacle. And so there were the giving of offerings day by day, week by week, they presented offerings to Yahuwah for cleansing, for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says this was set aside. You know, when you read the Old Testament, there are so many laws that pertain to ceremonial cleanness, right? Uh, there's so many different laws that pertain to the giving of sacrifices and offerings, burnt offering, guilt offering, sin offering, peace offering, food offering, so many different kinds of offering. The Bible says that's been set aside. Why? Because when Yahusha established the better covenant, Bible says that Yahusha, through the sacrifice of his body, he set the old aside, and there's no need for us to repeat the sacrifices of the priest. This is why today uh, there's no tabernacle, right? There's no actual physical temple. The, the sacrifice of Yahusha is sufficient. How sufficient was the sacrifice of Yahusha? Let's read Hebrews 10, 11, 14. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties 
again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, who is that? Yahushua. When this priest, the high priest Yahushua, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so how effective was the one sacrifice of Yahushua? The Bible says it has obtained eternal redemption. And by that one sacrifice, he has made us perfect for how long? At the last line, how does, what does it say? For how long? For one week? Forever. Those who are being made holy. This is why it's called the perfect sacrifice of the perfect son of God that obtained eternal redemption for those who have faith and belong to Yahushua. Praises be to the loving father that we belong to Yahushua. Because of that, under the covenant mediated by Yahushua, HaMashiach, we don't have to worry about the burnt sacrifices. We don't have to worry about the laws of cover clean, uh, cleaning and cleansing and all those ceremonies. It was taken care of on the cross by our king, Yahushua. However, does it mean that when Yahushua set up a better covenant, that we are to no longer observe the law of Yahuwah? Let's keep reading. We read 10, 11 to 14. Let's read now 15 to 18. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says Yahuwah. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds their sins and lawless acts. I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. And so after setting up the much better covenant, the one that is mediated by our high priest, our King Yahushua, what, did, what happened to the law? The Bible says the law was put in our hearts and in our minds. Does it mean when the covenant was established the law of Yahuwah was abolished? No. In fact, it was enhanced. How was the law enhanced in this better covenant? This time, the law, instead of being written in tablets of stone, it's now written where? In our minds and in our hearts. Do you see why it's a better covenant? Number one, better what? Promises, right? Number two, we have eternal redemption, all right? Number three, we have the same law, but this time it is in our mind and in our heart, right? This is why it is a better covenant. In this better covenant mediated by our King Yahushua, do we get rid of the law? No, we enhance the law and Yahuwah has a higher standard for us because we are expected to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. We are to exceed the righteousness of those who lived during the days of Moses because the law through the Holy Spirit is now in our minds and in our 
hearts. Now, what is this law? What specifically is this law that has been that is now in our minds and in our hearts? In the book of Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of Yahuwah is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Yahuwah is sure, making wise the simple. And so the law that's written in our minds and in our hearts, in both the Old, right, in the New Testament, that law is perfect. It's not imperfect. It's perfect. And this law, which is perfect, it's called the testimony of Yahuwah. So the law of Yahuwah is the testimony of Yahuwah. How, for how long is this testimony of Yahuwah applicable for? Let's read the book of Psalm. 119, 142 to 144. That's the law of Yahuwah, which is perfect. Does it have an expiration date? Let's read. 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. And your law is truth. Trouble and anguish have overtaken me, yet your commandments are my delights. The righteousness of your testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall Live. The Bible says the testimonies of Yahuwah, which is the law of Yahuwah, its righteousness, the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of the testimony of Yahuwah, it is what? Everlasting. It is perfect and everlasting. If it's perfect and everlasting, why would it be abolished when the new covenant is set up by Yahusha? It's not. It's going to be in our hearts and in our minds. What is that? What is this law of God, which is called the testimony of God or the testimony of Yahuwah? Exodus 31 verse 18. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. So what is considered the testimony of Yahuwah, which is the law of Yahuwah that's to be written in our minds and in our hearts. It's the tablets of the testimony. How many tablets? It says two tablets. Who wrote on the two tablets? Yahuwah, with his finger, with his power. What does this tell us about the two tablets? It is set apart. It is perfect. It is holy. Its righteousness is everlasting. You agree? This is why when it comes to the law, we need to look at this. We need to look at the two tablets. Well, what was written on the two tablets of the testimony? We know what the, what's written there, right? Yahuwah gave me two stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. On them were all the commandments Yahuwah proclaimed. Deuteronomy 10, for Yahuwah wrote on these tablets that he had written before, the 10 commandments he had proclaimed to you on the mountain, out of the fire, on the day of the assembly. And Yahuwah gave them to me. And so it's clear when the Bible says the law under the, the better covenant, the new covenant, will be written in your minds and in your heart, that law is the testimony of Yahuwah. The testimony written on two tablets. What are they? The Ten Commandments. This is why the Ten Commandments that was given during the Old Testament, it's the same. It's the same Ten Commandments in the New Testament. What's the proof? Let's read 1 John 
2, 3 to 7. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. I want to pause there for a while. The Bible is speaking about how to know God. Because if we want to be truly of God, we need to have a relationship with him. And the relationship word is to know. Yahuwah expects us to know him. Because to know him means to have a relationship with him. It is what he wants from us. This is why we were created in his image for the specific purpose of having a personal relationship with him because he's a personal God. See, there's a difference between theism and deism. Deism is a belief that there's a God who created all things, but this God is impersonal. It's some kind of supernatural force. Some people call it the universe. Theism believes that this Force that created all things is personal. His name is Yahuwah. And this personal God created us for a personal reason. What is that? To know him, to relate with him. How do we do that? The Bible says uh, we know that we know him if we obey his commandments. Which commandments? The Ten Commandments. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Yahusha did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. And so what is this command by which we can have a relationship with Yahuwah? It's the same command that was followed by our king, Yahusha. When Yahusha was here on earth, what command was he following? The Ten Commandments. And so when he walked his walk, he expects us to follow him as an example. Because Yahusha had a perfect relationship with his father. The son had a perfect relationship with his Abba, Yahuwah. We too must follow the example of Yahusha. Yahusha gave the commands, and the commands he gave, he also followed. What are these commands? These are, this is the old command that you've heard in the very beginning, because it's the same command. What are they? The Ten Commandments, right? This is why the Ten Commandments that was given in the Old Testament, it applies also in the New Testament. You cannot say the New Testament... The, you cannot say the Ten Commandments no longer apply in the New Testament. It does. It's even planted in our minds and in our hearts, which takes us to you know, the question, how do we know if a law in the Old Testament is still applicable to us today? All of it applies still. It still applies. So what do you mean? Well, think about this. I mean, according to those who study the Torah, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the Torah, right, in the first five books of Moses, if you look at all the different commands, all the different laws, there are about 613 specific laws. You might say, well, that's more than 10, Brother John. It is more than 10, right? 613 specific laws within the Torah. Within a section called the Book of the Covenant, which is from Exodus 20 to 22 to 23, verse 13, a number of these 613 rulings are listed. They illustrate and thus help to explain the implications 
of the basic Ten Commandments for members of the covenant community. And so what we're being told is, those who study the Torah, when you study all the 613 specific laws, they all derive from where? The Ten Commandments. Okay? The, the laws in these can be grouped by general content. There are laws governing treatment of Hebrew servants, governing compensation for personal injury, governing restitution for violation of property rights, and the laws that deal with various responsibilities individuals have as members of the covenant community. The important truths this collection of laws illustrates are first, that God, Yahuwah, is deeply concerned with every aspect of the believer's lifestyle. The basic Ten Commandments have the broadest possible application. We are to be sensitive to their implications for every choice we make and for every law our society enacts. And so what this is telling us, the 613 specific laws come from the Ten Commandments as it is applied within the context of the Israelite community. This is why the, during the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments applied. It generated 613 specific laws that apply to that context. When we apply it to our context today, it's the same Ten Commands, same Ten Laws, but it might have different specific laws. This is why we need to know the master law, which is the Ten Commandments. And we need to learn how you get the Ten Commandments to the 613 specific laws. Because what they contain are principles by which we can apply the Ten Commandments. This is why in the Holy Bible, we have what are called judgments, ordinances, statutes. These are applications of the Ten Commandments within the context of the Israelite community in the during that time, the time of Moses. So for example, Exodus 21:1. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. And so it mentions judgments. This is the Hebrew word mispat, Hebrew 4941, which means an ordinance, an act of deciding a case. And so throughout scripture, when you read the Old Testament, it mentions you know, what the judgment is. For example, when a Hebrew does this against another Hebrew, there's a law concerning what needs to be done for proper restitution. That is called a judgment, a verdict pronounced judicially. There are also commandments and statutes, right? What are statutes? Hebrew word 2706, hook, which is the statute, ordinance, a limit. And so it, it tells you the limits of where a certain law applies, for how long, for how, and for what duration. And so these are ordinances, but these are all applications of the Ten Commandments when it's applied during different settings, during the community in the times of Moses. So here the Hebrew mispatim means guiding decisions. These are illustrative laws intended to provide future generations of judges with precedents that can serve as guides for their decisions. And so what this tells us is when we read the Old Testament, what we find are case examples of how the Ten Commandments are applied 
within the context of a covenant community. In that case, the community of Israel. Can we learn from that case study? Absolutely, because we learn how to apply the Ten Commandments and we gain insight concerning principles from which came that, that came from the application of the Ten Commandments. This is why it's good to study the Old Testament, because the Old Testament gives us guidelines for how we can apply the Ten Commandments in our daily life. However, because we live in a different society with different uh, cultures, the dressing of how it's obeyed is going to be different because the context now is different, but the laws are still the same. What laws? The Ten Commandments, okay? This is why when we go back to the next question, Leviticus 19, uh, do the laws in Leviticus 19 still apply? What do you think? Based on what we've uncovered so far, does Leviticus 19 still apply to us? Yes, at least in principle. Uh, you take away the cultural context, understand its principles, it still applies to us. What's the proof? Leviticus 19 applies to us today. What's the proof? Corinthians 10, 11. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, right? So everything that happened that was commanded to be written down, it had a purpose. Do you think Yahuwah would have this written down if it had no purpose? It has a purpose. What is that purpose? So that we can gain admonition from their example. And who should benefit? Those who are from the ends of the ages. That's us, right? So that we who live in the ends of the ages, we can benefit from what was written and what happened during the days of Moses because it's still relevant and applicable to us today. Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so Leviticus 19, it still applies to us in principle and the laws behind them. Why? 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ, Yahushua. All, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Question, all scripture, does that include Leviticus 19? Yes, it includes Leviticus 19. So Leviticus 19 is relevant even today. Why? Because it's scripture. What's the basis of Leviticus 19? The Ten Commandments. Leviticus 19 has 37 verses, and it's about practicing holiness. Yahuwah set us apart to be his people because he wants us to be like him who is holy. And so when we look at chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus, it begins with verses 1 to 2. And Yahuwah spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Yisrael and say to them, you shall be holy for I, Yahuwah, your God am holy. And so this is telling us the whole purpose of Leviticus 19 is for us to be like, like who? Yahuwah. Yahuwah is telling us how we can be holy because he is 
holy. And basically, this is the first commandment. When the Bible says, I am Yahuwah, your God. You shall have no other gods besides me. Which means we need to recognize the lordship of Yahuwah in our life. He has to be first priority. And what he wants is for us to be holy. And when you look at the last uh, chapter, the last verse of the chapter, it ends with Luke, uh, Leviticus 19.37. Therefore, you shall observe all my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am Yahuwah. And so the whole point of Leviticus chapter 9 is for the purpose of glorifying who? Yahuwah, right? So Leviticus 19, is the pur its purpose is to glorify Yahuwah. That's why we can say the whole purpose is to show our love for Yahuwah by making him priority so that we practice the holiness that he's teaching us to observe in chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus. And when you look at the middle, at the middle, because in Leviticus chapter 19, there are 22 times that the name Yahuwah is mentioned. You know, I am Yahuwah, your God. I am Yahuwah 22 times. At the middle of that is this passage. I want you to see if it uh, rings a bell. Right at the middle, right smack at the middle of Levitic Leviticus 19 is Leviticus 19, 18. And this is what it says. But you shall love your neighbor as your self. I am Yahuwah. And so what do you notice about the structure of Leviticus? At the ends, you have priority to Yahuwah, right? And at the middle, you have the central theme of love, loving your neighbor as your self. Do you know what this tells us about the law, about the laws and the prophets? This is what Yahusha said in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, teacher, which is the great, the great commandment in the law? Yahusha said to him, you shall love Yahuwah, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the Shema. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so here, our King Yahushua is telling us the essence, the summary, or better yet, the spirit of the law. You get it? What's the spirit of the law? In one word, what's the spirit of the law? What is it? Love, right? Does it mean that these two commands, love your God with all your heart, love your neighbor, ask yourself, replace the Ten Commandments? No. It tells us the spirit by which we are to obey the Ten Commandments. And so when we apply the Ten Commandments, we ought to ask ourselves, how can I apply this command to show my love for God and my love for my fellow men? Right? That's the spirit of the Ten Commandments. The spirit of the Ten Commandments is love. And love is not thinking about self. Love is thinking about the other person. Sacrifice, how you can help the other person. That's the spirit of love. And so the spirit of love, loving Yahuwah, loving our fellow men, as loving our neighbor as ourselves, that's the spirit by which we are to obey the Ten Commandments. So when we look at Leviticus 19, Okay, it's an example of how the spirit of the Ten Commandments is applied in daily life. And it's a good case study when you look at Leviticus 19. For example, let's look at some of the chapters in Leviticus or some of the verses 
in chapter 19 of Leviticus, Leviticus 19, 1 down to 4. And Yahuwah spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Yisrael and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, Yahuwah, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. What commandment is that? Number five, right? And keep my Sabbaths. What commandment is that? Number four, right? I am Yahuwah your God. Do not turn to idols. Don't make for yourselves molded gods. I am Yahuwah your God. What commandment is that? Number two, right? Number two. And then let's read verse uh, five down to eight. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to Yahuwah, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity before he has profaned the hallowed offering of Yahuwah. And that person shall be cut off from his people. Question five to eight. Does it still apply today? Five to eight. Does it apply today? Yes or no? Yes in spirit. No in letter. You see the difference? You see, letter, the letter of the law, the letter of the, uh, the statutes, the letter of the statutes, the letter of the judgments, it's bound by the culture of that day. It's bound by the practice of that day. It's bound by the covenant of that day, right? And so the letter changes in the new covenant. Because in the new covenant, what was removed or set aside? The giving of burnt offerings. Because there's no temple service. There's no tabernacle service, right? That's been removed. Because Yahushua has redeemed us with eternal redemption. But does it still apply? Yes, the spirit of it applies. Remember, what's the spirit of the Ten Commandments? It is loving Yahuwah. So when we look at this passage, how can we, how can we show that we love Yahuwah when it comes to this commandment? When we give offering to him, it should be, yeah, from our own free will. Does this still apply today? Absolutely. That's the spirit of the law. That's the spirit of the command. We show to Yahuwah that we love him because even we do so willingly. Not by compulsion, right? We give willingly. And the offering that we give, we set aside. That's what it means to be hallowed. A hallowed offering we set aside. Hallowed means to consecrate. And so we set it aside. This is for Yahuwah, right? So the principle still applies, but the letter changed. Because what is important is the application during the under this our covenant today same law different covenant do you see do you see how it works okay leviticus 19 9 and 10 when you reap the harvest of your land you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest and you shall not glean your vineyard nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger i am yahuwah your God, here's a command, right? This is a statute, not a command. It's a statute. And the statute is based on what command? Do not steal. 
Remember, when Yahuwah gives a command that is cast in a negative, it includes and implies the positive because that's the spirit of what? L-O-V-E. And so when it says do not steal, what's the application of the spirit of the law? You give to those who are needy. This is the heart of Yahuwah, right? And he tells us to look out for the poor and the strangers. Does this still apply today? Yeah. We are to help out those who are needy. And so the command, do not steal, here we see an application of that. And we say, wow, look at the heart of Yahuwah. Yahuwah loves those who are in need. We should also love those who are in need. This is a, a good application of the command, do not steal, right? And it even tells you in Leviticus 19.11, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another, okay? What else? 19.12, and you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am Yahuwah. What command is that? Number three, right? We must not use his name falsely. Instead, we need to use his name not to misrepresent him, but to represent him properly. And the, the purpose of the name is for us to relate to our father, Yahuwah. 19.13, you shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. We see here actually an application of uh, the commandment, do not steal and do not bear false witness, right? Do not, uh, and do not steal, basically, uh, more so do not steal, because when you cheat your neighbor, that's like stealing. When you don't give the proper wages, it's like stealing, right? Because the person you hired deserves that. 1914, you shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God, I am Yahuwah. Okay, what commandment is that? Do not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind. What is that? What command is that? Yeah, kind of tough, huh? Could it be, do not steal? Right? Because a person who's deaf, and you're cursing a person who's deaf, maybe giving a false testimony, right? Putting a stumbling block before the blind. What else? 1915. You shall, uh, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. It's talking about integrity, about honesty, right? Which is do not bear false witness. The positive implication of that. And also another positive implication of that, or do not... Um, bear false witness. Leviticus 19.16, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am Yahuwah, right? And Leviticus 19.17-18, you shall not hate your, your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahuwah. And so that's the spiritual aspect of the Ten Commandments. Love your neighbor as your self, right? And so when you look at how the Ten Commandments applied, 
we can see how much Yahuwah loves his people. And we can see how much Yahuwah wants us to love one another. That's the essence of the Ten Commandments. Well, how about 1919? <laughs> Does this still apply to us, 1919? Well, let's take a look at 1919. Because he says here, I'm asking because these laws do not make sense to me, right? I wonder why he said that. Well, we'll find out. Leviticus 19.19, you shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed. You shall, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Okay, so what commandment do you suppose is at work in these statutes revealed with these three rulings. First rule, you shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and will come upon you. There are three rules, right? What spiritual principle is, should we, uh, should we uh, understand? What principle is at work here? And what command is being applied? Huh? <laughs> What do you think? Give you a clue. Look at this. Uh, how many times is the word mixed use? I know, like three times, right? Because when it says do not let your livestock breed with another, it's like do not mix one kind with another. Do not mix your seeds. Do not mix the linen, right? And so this is the principle of mixing or not being content with what Yahuwah gave when he created all things, right? And so you make your mixture. And so the way I see it, it is really the application of the first commandment. The first commandment tells us in the beginning, right? Yahuwah created all things and put in order everything as he saw fit. And he said it was good, remember? And so when we say, okay, this kind, I want to mix with this kind. What does that do? For example, this commandment here, I mean, this ruling here, you shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. When we breed one livestock with another kind, what are we going against? In Genesis 1, 24, 25, and God said, this is way back in creation, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so, and God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind. A cattle according to its kind, and everything that, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so, when you take one kind and breed it with another kind, what are you saying? What God created is not good. In essence, you want to be your own god. But commandment number one says, "No, Yahuwah is God, not you. Do not have any other gods except for Yahuwah. When Yahuwah God, the one who created all things." created it according to its kind, well, who are you to mix things? And so the idea of mixture is something we need to be aware of, especially today. Today, th this idea of mixture is the one behind it is, what's his name? Yeah. The enemy, the adversary, right? Shatan. He likes to mix things. He likes to use sync. He likes to syncretize ideas and mix pagan ideas with the Christian faith, right? With the faith that was given to us. And we should not be surprised today. There's this big old movement called the economical movement, 
where you have this one world religion. And so you have the Pope leading this one world religion. You have Muslims, you have Jews, you have Christians, Catholics, Baptists, you have different mixes of religions and you're going to have one world religion. What is that called? Mixture. Is that the will of Yahuwah? No. What is the will of Yahuwah? Setting apart. What does it mean to be holy? Mixed? No, the one thing to ruin holiness is to mix it with other things. You have to maintain holiness. Set apart. That's what it means to be holy. But this idea of mixing all these different religious ideas, it's a big mess. <laughs> it's called confusion. And it's what the devil wants. But Yahuwah wants us to be set Apart. There's another one, right? You shall not sow your field with mixed seed. What commandment could this be? Also, we already told you about the mixing, but there could be another. There could be another commandment at work here, because we need to understand some of the customs back then. You know, we don't know the customs back then, but there are researchers who study all this, and according to their research, there's a meaning um, when it comes to mixing seed. According to this commentary, some scholars who have looked into these different customs, this was also directed against an idolatrous practice, namely that of the ancient Zabians or fire worshippers who sowed different seeds, accompanying the act with magical rites and invocations. And commentators have generally thought the design of this and the preceding law was to put it in to the unnatural lusts and foolish superstitions which were prevalent among the heathen. And so it still applies today in the sense that we have to be aware of some of the practices that are pagan in origin, like Halloween and Christmas, right? And so this gives us a principle about that. You don't want to mix like pagan ideas with, you know, the, the feasts. I mean, look what they did with the, what do they do with them? Um, Passover or the uh, Feast of First Fruits? They turn into an Easter bunny, <laughs> right? You see how the mixing happens? And so this is the same principle. It's idolatry, removing the idolatry. What else? Uh, if the various genera of the natural order graminae, which includes the grains and the grasses, should be sown in the same field and flower at the same time, so the pollen of the two flowers mix, a spurious seed will be the consequence called by the farmers chess. It is always inferior and unlike either of the two grains that produce it, right? Because this is the result of mixing in size, flavor, and, and nutritious principles, independently of contributing to disease, the soil, they never fail to produce the same animal, they never fail to produce the same animals and men that feed on them. And so the mixing of seeds. That was mentioned not only does it not only is it rooted in idolatry it also has a disastrous effect when it comes to the type of results or harvest that you produce it's inferior and it can lead to sickness or disease in the soil okay look at the uh, the wisdom of Yahuwah let's look at the next one nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Again, from the same researchers, although this precept, like the other two with which it is associated, was in all probability designed to root out some superstition. 
Again, it's rooted in idolatry. It seems to also have further meaning because, again, let's look at the, the benefit of obeying this, this rule. The observations and researchers of modern science have proved that wool, when combined with linen, increases its power of passing off the electricity from the body. In hot climates, it brings, it brings on malignant fevers and exhausts the strength. And when passing off from the body, it meets with the heated air, inflames, and excoriates like a blister. <laughs> Interesting, right? And so it has a positive effect when it comes to obeying that rule. Again, what's the principle behind that rule? It is the application of the second commandment. You shall have no other gods or you shall not have idols that you create for yourself and the idolatry that's involved in there. And when it comes to idolatry, you have all these superstitions when it comes to worshiping false deities. Let's look at the next one, 1927 to 28. Let's, this is what it says. You shall not shave around the sides of your head, nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. I am Yahuwah. Well, let's go through this one by one. Very, this is very interesting. You shall not shave around the sides of your head. That's kind of weird. <laughs> Right? I, I can see why the person who asked the question is making a comment that it doesn't make sense to him. When you look at it at face value and then not understanding the context from which it came from, it will make it also doesn't make sense to us, right? But we have to understand first and foremost the audience. When Moses wrote this, his not his first audience is not us. His first audience is who? People of Israel. People of Israel came from where they came, where, where did they come from? Egypt. In Egypt, they picked up a lot of nonsense. They picked up a lot of pagan rituals, a lot of different beliefs and concerning gods and goddesses. They picked up a lot of practices. And this is one of the things they picked up. It's a, a type of hairstyle. And this is what the researchers have to say. Uh, this kind of koifur had a highly idolatrous meaning. Koifur means hairstyle. I don't, know if I'm even, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it means hairstyle. This kind of hairstyle had a highly idolatrous meaning, and it was adopted with some slight variations by almost all idolaters in ancient times. And so when you adopted uh, this kind of hairstyle during that time, okay, you have to understand context. And so the letter of the law is for that time. And so during our time today, I don't know if this has a meaning, <laughs> but back then it did, okay? And so back then, all, almost all idolater, idolaters had the same hairstyle. Frequently, a lock or tuft of hair was left on the hinder part of the head, the rest being cut around in the form of a ring, <laughs> as the Turks, Chinese, and Hindus do at the present day, okay? So that's a, the kind of hairstyle that was... In, uh, that insinuated idolatrous practices. What else? Nor shall you disfigure the, the edges of your beard. Again, this is also a practice of the Egyptians. The Egyptians, the Egyptians used to cut or shave off their whiskers as may be seen in the coffins of mummies and the representations of divinities on the monuments. But the Hebrews, in order to separate them from their neighboring nations, or perhaps to put a stop to some existing superstition were forbidden to imitate this practice. It may appear surprising that Moses should condescend to such 
minute uh, as the as that of regulating the fashion of the hair and the beard. So the commentator is saying it's surprising that Moses would write something as seemingly trivial as making marks on your beard and in your hair, matters which do not usually occupy the attention of a legislator and which appear widely remote from the province, either of the government or of religion. A strong presumption therefore arises that he had in mind by these regulations to combat, to offset some superstitious practices of the Egyptians. Again, we have to understand the audience were the Israelites. They came from Egypt. Egypt had idolatrous practices that for some reason were kind of difficult to remove completely. And so these rules were given so that they can remove completely these practices of idolatry so that we can they can comply with the second commandment, right? Do not involve yourselves with idol worship, okay? And cuttings in your flesh for the dead. I think that's pretty obvious when you cut your flesh for the dead. Uh, the practice of making deep gashes on the face and arms and legs in times of bereavement was universal among the heathen. And it was deemed a becoming mark of respect for the dead, as well as a sort of uh, propitiatory offering to the deities who presided over death and the grave. The Jews learned this, uh, this custom in, in Egypt, and though weaned from it, relapse in a later and degenerate age into this old superstition. And so again, it's an application of the second commandment, right? And so when you look at 19, 27 to 28, it's all basically an application of the second commandment, including the tattoo marks, tattoo by tattooing, imprinting figures of flowers, leaves, stars, and other fanciful devices on various parts of the person. The impression was made sometimes by means of a hot iron, uh, sometimes by ink or paint, as is done by the Arab females of the present day and the different castes of the Hindus. It is probable that a strong propensity to adopt such marks in honor of some idol gave occasion to the prohibition in this verse. And so it is believed because during ancient times, cultures would have tattoo marks to give honor to some deity, false deity. And this this um, practice was adopted by some of the Israelites. And so Moses wanted to remove, remove all that. And so you have this rule, which was, of course, inspired by Yahuwah because he wanted to keep pure the worship of Yahuwah. So when we look at Leviticus 19, 27 to 28, what principle can we learn that apply to us? We must remove all the mixture, right? We have to remove all influences of pagan culture and idolatry in the way we worship Yahuwah. This is why we don't practice Easter. We don't practice Christmas because we want to remove the idolatry. We don't practice Halloween. We don't want to, we want to remove the influence of pagans in the way we understand and worship Yahuwah Abba, because we who are members of the Assembly of Yahusha during the New Testament times, we still obey the commands. But how must we obey the commandments of Yahuwah Abba? We're almost done. John 15, 5 and 10. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When you obey my commandments, uh, you remain in my love. 
just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What is our responsibility? Now that we are in fellowship with, we are in union with, or we are part of the body of Yahushua. Yahushua says, I am divine. You are the branches. What is our responsibility as branches of divine? Who is Yahushua? The Bible says we have to remain in him, right? How can we remain in him and he in us? The Bible says, obey my commands. When our King Yahushua says, obey my commands, what does he mean? He says, obey me just as I obeyed my father's commandments. So our King Yahushua, who obeyed the father's commandments, obeyed what commandments specifically? The ten commandments. How did our King Yahushua obey the ten commandments? Not just the letter of the law, but what? The spirit of the law. What is the spirit of the law? It is the spirit of love. Yahushua obeyed the Ten Commandments, thinking in his mind, how can I express love for Yahuwah? How can I express love for my fellow human beings? This is why when Yahushua was on earth during his ministry, he was teaching us not just to obey the Ten Commandments, but to obey the Ten Commandments in the way he obeyed them. Because the way Yahushua obeyed the Ten Commandments transcended the way it was obeyed before. Did he change the Ten Commandments? No. But his application of how the Ten Commandments ought to be followed and obeyed, it expressed the very spirit and essence which what Yahuwah had in mind all along, which is love. And so to reflect this, look at what the Apostle John says in 2, 7 to 8. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him. Who's that him? Yosha. And you, followers of Yahusha. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Do you see here how Apostle John uses the, word, the words old and new? And applying it to the word command? The old command. What is that? The ten commandments. Why did he say in verse 8, yet I am writing you a new command? Because the way the old command, the Ten Commandments, is obeyed, is following how Yahushua obeyed them. That's why it says, its truth is seen in him. What is that truth that was seen in him? Is love. This is why when we think of a new command, do you know what the new command is in the Christian era? What is the new command? Is the new command in the Christian era, does it replace the old, uh, the Ten Commandments? Look at what our King Yahushua says in John 13, 34, 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. I want to pause there for a while. Is the new command to love one another? Is that the new command? 
And that's not the new command. Because we already read in, Le in Leviticus 19, verse 17, we ought to love each other as we love ourselves. So is that the new command? No, that's the old command. Why did Christ say a new command? What is the new command? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So what our King Yahushua is telling us is this. The Ten Commandments, it's the same Ten Commandments. It still includes the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the Sabbath. But this time, when we fulfill it, we fulfill it with love, not ordinary love, but the kind of love that who showed Yahusha. That's why it's called a new command. A new command really is the application of Christ's love across the Ten Commandments. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so what our Christ Yahushua is teaching us is he is not abolishing the Ten Commandments. He's telling us we ought to obey the Ten Commandments with the spirit of love that he showed us. Not love that we knew before, but a new way of loving. The kind of love that Yahushua showed. What is that love that Yahushua showed? Matthew 5, 43. You have heard it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. You see why it's a new command? Yahushua is telling us the Ten Commandments ought to be applied with the spirit of love that enables us to love even our enemies. If we can do that, then we are truly the disciples of our King, Yahusha. Because if we love only those who do good to us, if we love only those who are our brethren, he tells us, what makes you different than a heathen? <laughs> what makes you different than a tax collector? They do the same thing. You want to be different? You want to be your son? You want to be the son and daughter of Yahuwah? You want to be perfect like Yahuwah? which is what the Father wants us, right? Be holy because I am holy. Be perfect because I am perfect. What should we strive for? This kind of love. Loving one, another, loving Yahuwah with this kind of magnitude of love. And if we will apply this magnitude of love, this kind of intensity of love, loving your enemy, with that intensity, that kind of brightness, that kind of light, if we are able to love with that kind of intensity, Across the Ten Commandments, my goodness, we're going to reach perfection. That's what Yahusha wants us to accomplish. That's the law of Christ. Is the law of Christ different than the Ten Commandments? No. It's an application of more love spread across the Ten Commandments. This is why in Galatians 6, 1 to 2, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, and so if there's a brother or a sister who hates your guts, right? A brother or a sister who doesn't like you anymore. 
and they, you know, they gone their own way and they really despise you and bitter and because of their hatred for you are doing insane things against you. Now is our opportunity to practice the Ten Commandments with the spirit of love that Yahushua showed. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so when you think of the Ten Commandments and applying spiritual love, the kind of love Yahushua showed, it's really bearing another person's burdens and helping them out when they're in need, right? And so when people say Leviticus 19, does it apply? Yes. The spirit, the spirit of the law, the spirit of the Ten Commandments must be alive and well in the hearts of every follower of Yahusha. Because according to our king himself, it is by this practice of love that people will know that you are my disciples. Okay, that's our lesson for today. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Almighty and merciful Father, gracious Yahuwah, thank you so much for blessing us with an understanding of your commandments. We know we, you want them to influence the choices we make in our life. Help us, Father, that your laws and your commands will be deeply embedded in our minds and hearts. Help us to be aware of them, to meditate on them, to practice them in a spirit of love. Father, bless even those who despise us and persecute and mock us. Give us an understanding heart so that we can empathize with them. And at the same time, teach us to be gentle, that those who have fallen, those who have left the faith, they can be restored, loving Abba, by the spirit of love that you have shown us. Please, gracious Yahushua, may you strengthen our faith. Teach us to be like you. Because if we are to be honest, it's quite difficult to really love even our enemies, those who spitefully use us, those who say negative things about us. To love them is something that only through the power of your spirit we can do. And so we ask and beg you, please, give us your spirit. Give us your ability. Give us your power so that we can be like you in everything we do. Father, thank you so much for listening to our prayers. Bless the works of the assembly and help us to abound in good works. We ask and beg everything loving Abba in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.